Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. Amen. Take your Bibles and open them to Acts chapter 2. We're going to pick up right where we left off last time in verse 5. And I've entitled our Bible study today, God's Undying Love for You and for the Lost. And we see that lived out in God's undying love for Peter. And Peter becomes representative of us individually. He loves each one of you as followers of Christ. But also he has a love for the lost. His love for you comes to you and in you, and then it's designed to come through you because God loves the lost. He loves those that are separate from him, even in our own communities and in our own families. And when we look at the book of Acts, it's easy to step back and think, well, sometimes we think that we need to be some superstar to be used of God. Like God only uses the smart ones or God only uses those that have been to seminary or God only uses those that know all the Bible or whatever list we come up with. But it's not true. God wants to use all of us exactly who we are and where we are. He he uses imperfect people, right? Because that's all he has. There isn't anyone else. There's no perfect one among us. There's no one that's so smart, so important that only they get used. No, God's desire is for all of us. He wants us to live out the book of Acts. And what is the book of Acts? It's the Spirit of God using the Word of God through the people of God to a lost and dying world. That's the book of Acts, and this is our heritage. We are living out now, 2,000 plus years later, the book of Acts in our own lives. God loves you. He wants to use you because He loves you, and He loves the lost. So here in Acts chapter 2, remember we just saw how God captured the attention of Jerusalem supernaturally. As the disciples were waiting for the promise, the Holy Spirit came upon them in a very miraculous way with sounds and sights. And not only were they blessed, but God is going to use this event to draw people's attention so that the gospel can go forth. So pick up with me in verse 5 now in Acts chapter 2. It says, Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews... Devout men from every nation under heaven. And when the sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused, because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? How is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born, Parthians and Medes and Elamites, dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, verse 10. Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya adjoining Cyrene. Visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. And so they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, whatever could this mean? Others were marking, said, they are full of of new wine. So when God moves among and through his believers, there are always people that see it and that watch it and that observe it. You could even say that in your life there are people watching, seeing, and observing your life. 
They recognize your relationship with Jesus. And whenever God is working through someone and working through the church, people see it and observe it. And this supernatural event, I mean, remember, Jerusalem is filled with people. They're celebrating Pentecost, all kinds of activities, noise, crowds, and then boom, this event takes place and the multitude gather together. God wanted to grab their attention. He knows what he's doing, even though the disciples don't yet know. He knows what he's doing. And it's always good to be reminded that in your life, God knows what he's doing with your life even if you don't know yet, <laughs> even if you're not sure, even you're looking, I'm not sure how this is going to die. I'm not sure what this is. I'm not, well, that's okay. God knows, and you can follow his lead. God knows, and you can follow his lead. Notice how they responded. It says in verse six that they were confused. This word in the original language means that their attempt, they caught, God caught their attention. They're living life, and this event caught their attention. Their minds were disturbed from going through the normal routine of worship on the day of Pentecost. Also in verse 7, it says that they were amazed. Down in verse 12, it also says they were amazed. This word means to be besides oneself or to be thrown out of position. And it really speaks to a, they're going through the motions, doing what they do every year, and this event stopped them, and it caused them to think differently. Also, they were, the Bible says in verse 7, they marveled. They were surprised by it all. And then notice also down in verse 12, they were perplexed. This word means they don't have an explanation. They don't know what's going on. They're stuck in a place with all these questions, and they are uncertain of what's happening. And then, of course, in verse 13, whenever God is doing something, there will always be the mockers. You know that, right? There will always be the mockers. This word speaks of making fun of. It also covers those that are critics and skeptics. There's always going to be those that mock when God is at work on the earth. Notice the different responses. There's always different responses to the work of God. There's always different responses when the word of God goes out, when the teaching of God goes out. Not everybody likes to hear it. Not everybody wants to see it. So they respond. And now Peter here is filled with the Holy Spirit. We are literally talking, I don't know, we're talking moments after the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. The way that I could understand it is in a great event happens, all this is happening, and it's like after service when we start to leave or we have people hanging out, talking and praying for each other, going downstairs, getting the kids. In that environment, that fast. So we have a service, we gather together, we go through Bible study, we worship together, and then it's over and it's that fast. God works suddenly. So there was a sudden appearance of the Holy Spirit and then there was a sudden opportunity and Peter was ready. He's not bummed out by it. He's not overwhelmed by the mockery. I think, I think Peter's listening. And he hears all that's being said and all of the noise and all of the, everything that's happening. I think he hears. I think he hears the mockers. We know that because he answers them. And I also think he overhears verse 12. I think he hears the question, whatever could this mean? I think he's listening to the crowd and he hears this question, which reminds us how important it is for us to learn to listen. It's one of the best things you can do when you're serving someone, when you're in someone's life, 
is to learn how to listen. And I think it was J. Vernon McGee, Bible study of years ago, that he said something like, hey, God gave us two ears and one mouth for a reason. And the ratio is important. We, we, we would do well to listen and value and respect the person that's in front of us, to, to learn their story. Before we come to any snap judgments, before we come to, I mean, we'd never come to snap judgments at all if we would learn to listen. And as you're listening, you're not only listening to the person in front of you, but you're also listening for how the Holy Spirit wants to use you in their life. There's not just one answer for everyone and one way to reach everyone. And, and Peter is in the midst of all this. It's an amazing experience. The spirits come upon him. He hears the mockery, but I also think he hears this question. And notice what he says here in verse 14 now. Peter, standing up with the 11, raised his voice and said to them, and he addresses the mockers first, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. For these are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. Then he goes on to answer the question, what could this mean? What's happening? And what does he say, verse 16? But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons, your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in the last days and they shall prophesy. That, that is a definition of when the last days began. The last days began on the day of Pentecost, and they continue to this day. We are certainly closer to the coming of the Lord than they were, but we're still living in the last days, in dark days, in difficult days, days that come up to verse 19. This hasn't happened yet. I will show wonders in heaven above the signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness, the moon into blood, before the coming of the great and notable day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. This is amazing what Peter does here with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. He goes, well, you want to know what this means? Let me tell you what it means. Joel already told us. God told us years ago what was going to happen in the last days. And you're start. Here you are. You are now officially living in the last days. And he gives us the definition. It starts on the day of Pentecost. And the last days ends at the coming of the Lord. So everything in between that day and the coming of the Lord are the last days. And certainly we see throughout scripture that the closer we are to the coming of the Lord, the darker the days become. That shouldn't surprise us. This is what we've been teaching uh, verse by verse. As long as I've been here, I've been teaching through this church of what would happen in the last days, what the Bible has to say, dark and difficult days. And Peter says, you guys should know the Bible. What you're experiencing right now, what you're experiencing, he tells them, is in the Bible. This is what Joel said. This is it. It says, verse 16, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. Listen, you want to be able, church, for anything that you answer, you want to be able to say, this is what was spoken of by the author, whatever author you're referring to. Or if you like to write in your Bibles, verse 16, you can just write, this is what the Bible says. You want to be able to say that. 
When people are coming to you with questions, what does this mean? And what's going on? And they're watching the news and they're seeing this happen and they're watching all this. You, church, need to respond. This is what the Bible says. What you don't need to do is respond with your opinion, with your anger, with your angst, with all of that. That will not help them. That will not help them. Remember we learned in Acts chapter 2 that the whole outpouring of the Holy Spirit wasn't about the gift of tongues. It wasn't about the supernatural. It wasn't about the mockers now. It's like, oh, look at you. You guys are just drunk. It's not about that. What Peter is going to do here is take this event and bring a group of people right to the cross and to the empty tomb. Let me ask you, is that a pattern in your life? Do you take all of the events that happen around you and are you able to take someone to the cross? Are you able in a very simple way to talk about spiritual things? You take the natural things and even the supernatural, perhaps what God is doing in your life, and are you able to bring someone to the cross, to the empty tomb, and speak about what's really important? What's really important is the soul of the person that you're speaking to the person that was created in the image of God. That's what's important. And Peter here, this is the moment. None of us really know when our moments come, but we live them out all the time. This is the moment for Peter. Like this is a pivotal part of Peter's life that will forever change him. He wasn't normally like this. You know, Peter, you guys that study, you know, Peter was a guy just like us. He was impetuous, imperfect, he would often speak out of turn. He'd say things he would regret. I mean, this is the kind of guy that would look Jesus in the face and rebuke Jesus Christ. That's Peter. That's how confident he was. He's the kind of guy that says, oh, all of my friends, they'll deny you, Jesus, but me, I got your back, denier. He did it three times, not just once. That's Peter. Peter's the kind of guy that when he sees Jesus in danger, he's just gonna take out his sword and cut. He's gonna start just swinging it around not even thinking about the consequence. But that's not the Peter we see here. Something changed in him. And we know what changed in him because it was our previous time together. He was endued with power from on high. He was changed by the Spirit of God. I mean, today you'd see a man like this and you would say, well, what changed? You know, Peter, what changed? What school did you go to? Peter said, I didn't go to school. Well, what is it? What, what, what YouTube video did you watch? I didn't watch some video. What seminary did you go to? I didn't go to seminary. Well, then what happened to you? And later on, you know what's going to happen. They're, they're going to say what happened. They spent time. They could tell that they spent time with Jesus. How do we spend time with Jesus today? He's not here physically. How do we spend time with Jesus? In his word and his prayer. That's how we spend. We open up the Bible and we pray and we live out our life like any real relationship. We enjoy him. It's not just formal religious activity. It's life. It's all of us. The spirit of God working through us. Knowing the word. How is it that he could pull out this scripture out of the blue? Well, it wasn't out of the blue. He had deposited it in his heart. He had memorized it. He had retained it. He had meditated on it. And because the word of God was in him, the spirit of God can pull the word of God out of him. And I can't emphasize enough, church, how vital it is for you to know the Bible. Just to know it, just to read it, 
You don't, you don't have to look up every Greek word in the New Testament. You don't have to work up every uh, Hebrew word. You don't have to, to, to dissect it and study it like a, like a seminary student. Just read it. Just start there. Just read it. Just take in a proverb, a chapter of Proverbs a day. Learn the wisdom of God. Take in a few chapters of the Psalms. Have a worshipful heart. Follow along with Jesus in the Gospels and follow him like you were with him. Let the Spirit of God present yourself to God, a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable, a reasonable service. If you want to be the man or woman that God uses, you have to know the word. You have to be able to say, this is what the Bible says. I know it's quicker, it's easier to give our opinions, but people don't know, need your opinions. Nobody cares what your opinion is. What does the Bible say? What does the Bible say? What does it say in its context? What does it say, what did God mean when he wrote it to the audience that received it? You know, in the last many years, I've just been really praying and asking God to train my ears to hear what's from God and what's not from God. Because you hear a lot of voices and a lot, and and I get all kinds of notes and emails and thoughts and everybody's talking to me and I'm talking and I just want to hear, is this really from the Lord? Does this sound like God? You know, somebody might send me an email and it's X, Y, Z and I'm like, man, I don't even know if this is from the Lord. I want to pray and ask God if it's from the Lord. Does it sound like his character and his nature? You know, I think, you know, somebody would send me a note about uh, criticism, you know, some criticism they have. Well, I want to pray through, does this sound like God? Is this the kind of help that God wants to give me? Does he want to help me grow from, or is it just somebody's opinion? Because I can tell you, if it's somebody's opinion, I ain't got no time for your opinion. I only have time for the word of God. That's really all I have, and I barely have that. I don't want to waste my time chasing things down that have no eternal value. I want to be a part of a church that can hear the word of God and do it. Be able to discern in a culture that is filled with voices where you immediately go, that's not from the Lord. That's not God. That's somebody's opinion. That's somebody's, you know, they're not even talking eternity here. They're not even talking about the souls of men. There's something you're watching, something you're listening to. They're saying, oh, you know what? Don't worry about those people. Well, that's not from the Lord. Anybody telling you not to worry about people? That's, from, that's not from the Lord. Anyone telling you to treat somebody and demean them? That's not from the Lord. Put them in a second class or a third class? That's not from the Lord. And you and I, we need to train our ears to hear only the voice of the Lord. Otherwise, you will get carried away with the course of this world and it'll take you like, you know, when you're in the beach and you're out playing in the water and before you look up, you're like a mile away from when you went in because the currents just take you and take you and take you. If you're not paying attention, you're looking up, you go, how, where is everyone? The world's like that. And you don't want to be a part of this world. We are in this world, but we're not of this world. And if anyone should hear the voice of God today, it should be the church. And if anyone's going to represent the voice of God, it should be the church. I mean, even within, within our fellowship gatherings, anything that we're doing, we should be able to say, this is what it says in the Bible. Why are you doing this, Ed? Because this is what it says in the Bible. This is it. Here it is right here. This is it. This is what was spoken of by the prophet Joel. And I can't emphasize enough, church, I even 
I'll even take a position of begging you to read your Bibles. You read your Bible all week, it'll do more for you than a sermon will. Because the Holy, you're giving spirit time to the Holy Spirit all week. And you know what you'll find when you start reading the Bible a lot? Just soaking it in, taking it in. By the time you gather together midweek or weekend, you gather together with the saints, you'll find the Holy Spirit affirming what you read. You'll find the Holy Spirit expanding upon what you read. And you just be like, man, what's going on here? The Spirit of God is working through the Word of God in your life. That's what's happening. And it's amazing. You can't manufacture it. You can't make it up. Only God does that work. As you present yourself to him, he will meet you there. So notice he describes the last days. They begin on the day of Pentecost, and they end at the coming of the great and notable day of the Lord. He says in the last days there's going to be an outpouring of his spirit. I love that. Your sons and daughters are going to prophesy. God has a plan for your kids, church. God has a plan for your kids and your grandkids. He wants to use them. He wants to speak to them. He wants the word of God coming out of their mouth, speaking forth his word. Not only that, notice the old, young men are going to see visions and the old men shall dream dreams. The difference between a dream and a vision, dreams happen when you're asleep, visions happen while you're awake or in kind of a semi-sleep form. That's the difference. And I don't want you to think that this is an exclusive thing that only young men see visions and old men dream dreams. No, every you get, there's going to be supernatural phenomena that God can speak when, when, even when you don't want to hear. Like you go to sleep, I'm just so tired, I had a long week, I want to go to sleep. All right, go to sleep. And you're in the perfect position for God to speak to you in your dreams. And you're like, whoa. And you wake up and go, what was that? And you take that dream and you compare it by the word of God. And God will use them and encourage you. Not only that, he says, on the men servants, maid servants, I'm going to pour out my spirit. Everyone's going to prophesy in those days. It's going to be a beautiful, wonderful time of supernatural outpouring of the spirit. And that's what God has been doing for the last 2,000 years. It's amazing because even today as I'm speaking, God is using dreams and visions in countries that have outlawed Christianity. One of the greatest ways that God is reaching the Muslim population today is by dreams and visions. It's amazing. The dreams and visions prep them for the gospel. There are testimonies of Jesus himself appearing to them with the true gospel in a dream or a vision, and people are getting saved all over the place. I mean, I want you to consider this. Do you really think that men and their laws can hinder the gospel of Jesus Christ? Do you really believe that? It's like, oh, Ed, you don't understand. It's getting so hard. Look at this law and that law. Okay, so do you really think God's going, oh, no, what am I going to do? Michael, Michael, come over here. There's a new law. What are we going to do? How, like, the gospel is not chained, church. It's not chained. And even in these countries that are closed, that countries that if you share the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, they'll cut your head off. That's how, that, that's the legalities of some of these countries. Jesus, there is a way. God makes a way when there is no way. We want to follow him. We, he's not limited by our plans. God is not limited by us trying to figure things out. He's got it all. He already knows what he's going to do. And even as I've been training my, my, I've been really asking God to train me about hearing his voice, I'm also asking God to show me where he's at work because that's where I want to be. I don't want to be over here when God's doing something over there. I want to be right in the middle of what he's doing for my life. 
I don't want to be sitting on, you know, comfort and ease and, oh, look at this, it's great. When God's moving over there, I want to move over there. I want to go, man, what's going, what are you doing over here, Lord? I want to be a part of this. I kind of like Pentecost. You know, I'm on that side of town. I hear about Pentecost. Boom, I want to be over there. What are you doing, Lord? What do you have for me? And to take that posture of humble expectance. Now, in verse 21, before we move on, verse 21, I just... I want you to take the simplicity of the Bible before man messes it up. Because that is what happens. We mess things up. We take something that's so profoundly simple and we make it so profoundly complex that we miss the point of what God is trying to tell us. Notice what he says in verse 21. This is Joel, old covenant, speaking forth the words of God, now being applied in the new covenant in the beginning of the last days, and now it's bringing home to us right now. He says this, it shall come to pass, mark that word, that whoever, is that what your Bible says? If you have an old King James, whosoever, it'll come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So just take it for what it says. Anybody that calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's what the Bible says. This is the infancy of the church. This, this is the baby church. This is before any man has developed systematic theologies where there's a million volumes up on your library. This is before school was invented. This is before seminary. This is before anything, before men has totally rearranged the Bible. This is what it says. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. This is what it says. And one of the things you need to learn in the progressive revelation of God through his word is that scripture always interprets scripture. This is before John Calvin came along and said, well, there's elect and non-elect. This is before teachers and professors that go, well, you know what? Some people are destined to be saved and some people are just gonna go to hell. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That should encourage you. And that should also show you that it agrees with the teachings of Jesus. How many of you have memorized John 3.16? What does it say? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever, whoever, believe in him. None of, this, none of these other categories, n- n- nothing yet. And when you see the other categories, the elect, those that call upon his name, those that God calls, they all are submissive to this truth, whoever. They don't change this truth. They're submissive to it. So important that you just, church, take the simplicity of what God says. You're praying for somebody right now, they call upon the name of the Lord, they'll get saved. You're praying for someone, you have someone that like, you're just like, I don't know if they'll ever, I don't know, maybe they're beyond. You pray for them. If they call upon the name of the Lord, they'll be saved. That, that is the truth of God's word. I was sharing recently some things going on in my life, testimonies, and I was just thinking, you know what? My testimony, as much as I've ever shared with you, is way worse than I've ever shared with you. Way worse. Deeper sin, dumb things, like like. Like, God is gracious that even in my memory, he doesn't allow me to remember just how bad it was. But I do know this, it was bad. It was challenging. It it was hurtful and harmful. It was far deeper than any of us can remember. And yet, while I was still yet dead in my trespasses and sins, God saved me. He saved me. Nobody's beyond the reach of God. 
Nobody's beyond the reach of God. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord, don't lose hope. And this is what he's telling everybody that's listening. All you guys can be saved. I say that to you today, like Peter standing here. All of you guys can be saved if you just call upon the name of the Lord. All of you, all out on the internet, on YouTube and on our stream, listening on Grace FM, listening in a jail cell, listening in a hospital, in a kitchen somewhere, jogging through one of the parks in Denver, wherever you are, all of you can be saved if you call upon the name of the Lord. All. It's a beautiful truth. Don't let anybody talk you out of it. Don't let anyone come with all this complex theology and before you know it, you're just confused. You go, okay, I guess you're right. No, no, it's simple, simple here. Verse 22, he says, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, him being delivered by the determined counsel and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, you crucified and put him to death. God raised him up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. Interesting how this message is, you guys, you guys, you guys killed Jesus. That's a pretty profound statement to make. We know there's at least 3,000 people here. So he looks at 3,000 people, well, you guys did it. Which is where you can also say, you know, it was your sin and my sin that nailed Jesus to the cross. It wasn't just a select few people. It wasn't just a select group of people. It was our sin. And that's really what he's saying here. They didn't physically do it with their own hands. It was their sin. But not only that, he's saying, you guys missed your Messiah. You missed your Savior. And instead of receiving him, you killed him. You crucified him. But that wasn't the end because God raised him up from the dead. And it's interesting too, as you see this together, the infancy. This, this is Peter. He hasn't been to school. Yet. This is Peter teaching some of the most profound doctrines in all of the Bible. If you notice in verse 23, he speaks about the sovereignty of God and the free will of man in the same verse right out of the gate moments after being baptized by the Holy Spirit. Why? Because that tension's always been there. God's sovereignty, man's responsibility. It's been there from the Garden of Eden. You have God creating this pristine environment and Adam and Eve making very poor choices, but not taking God by surprise because he has foreknowledge. I mean, this is some heavy stuff, but it's not so heavy when you just accept it for what it is. It's what God is teaching through Peter. It's amazing. Then he appeals, he appeals to David in the Psalms, verse 25, for David says concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart rejoiced, and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh will also rest in hope, because you will not leave my soul in Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You have made known to me the ways of life, and you will make me full of joy in your presence. Men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David that he is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Therefore, being a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, he would raise up the Christ to sit on his throne, he, foreseeing this, spoke concerning the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus, 
God has raised up, of which we are all witnesses, therefore being exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you now see and hear. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. So the audience has a knowledge of the Bible. They would be the Old Testament. They would be in synagogue all the time. And he's appealing to their knowledge. He says, you guys know this. You know about the resurrection. You heard about it. And you also know what David wrote. But I want you to understand, Peter says, what David wrote wasn't about himself. It was about Messiah. David's David's dead. He's gone. But Jesus Christ is alive. And notice now verse 36. Therefore, now is the conclusion. And you know what Peter's doing right now, by the way, is teaching a Bible study, just like we've been trained to do it. He's reading the text, giving the interpretation, and then he gives the application. That is every single Bible study. Go through the text, read it, give the interpretation. What does it mean? And now what does it mean for you to take action? So that's what the therefore is. You notice he says, that's his conclusion when he comes in verse 36. So now he's taking that plane and he's taken off and said, this is what the Bible says. And this is what it means. And now he's going to land that plane in a place where he's going to give them, this is what you need to do. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. And now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent, And let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises to you, to your children, and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this crooked, perverse generation. And those who gladly received his word were baptized. And about that that day, 3,000 souls were added to them. That was the result of this quick, out of his mind, memory message. 3,000 people got saved. What an increase and what God has done. Therefore, because of your sin, Jesus Christ died and rose again, and they were cut to the heart. Cut to the heart. You know, this is something you need to understand. You and I, when we talk, we talk to the head. It's the spirit that gets to the heart. That's why when you use the Bible, it cuts to the heart because God uses it. When you and I just share what we think and share our feelings and stuff, that's mind to mind. It's only God that cuts to the heart. And that's the key. We want to get to the heart of the matter because the heart of the matter is always a matter of the heart. It's not just some mental agreement. Yeah, you know, I believe in God. Maybe he's out there somewhere. No, they're cut to the heart. And notice now, remember their first question back in... Back in verse 12, whatever could this mean? In a matter of moments, they changed their question to, what shall we do? That's pretty powerful. What does this mean? And then by the time God is done using Peter, what should we do? They gave their own altar call. It's like, what are we supposed to do? How are we to respond? And Peter tells them, hey, you know what? You need to repent. You need to repent. You need to call upon the name of the Lord. Why? Because that's anyone that does will be saved. You need to turn away. That word repent is a Bible word. It means to turn away from. 
It means to go in the opposite direction. It means that you recognize where you are and you give up at that moment. You turn away from your sin. So important to do that. God is giving the increase here. Peter's planting, watering, but it's only God that gives the increase according to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And it wasn't his eloquence. It wasn't his speaking skills. It wasn't his polished presentation. It, it wasn't anything but the word of God in the hands of the Spirit of God through the mouth of Peter that cut them to the heart. And God is ready to add thousands to the church even now. He's ready to use you. It's not only me that gets used by God. We all get used. We all have our place in the family of God. We all, we all have our position. We all have our mandate. And God wants to use us all. Why? Because he loves you and he loves the lost. And he wants to use us. He, he wants you to step in and present yourself open. To come to him not with closed fists, but with open. Have your hands open, ready to receive from the Lord. Let go of your preconceived ideas. Let go of your man-made religion. Let go of your attachment to men and your attachment to teach. And come to God with open hands. And I know that he'll affirm his word to you. I know it. I know you can take everything that I share, test it by the word of God, and I know God will give you clarity on what he has for you. I know that. It is the testimony and faithfulness of God from the very beginning of the church, and we're living it out right now. And it's truly exciting to be used in these last days, to, to train our ears to hear the voice of God, to train our eyes to see where he's working, and to get jump right in the middle of it and allow the Holy Spirit to use us in ways we never thought. Now, before we leave, I, I want to address this. I, I, can't, I don't have time to develop it all, but you can go to our website, go to the app, search, just put the word baptism. I did a full study on water baptism, but I do believe since we're going verse by verse, I need to address this so that you can leave here confident in the word of God and not be you know, stumbled by someone along the way. It's in verse 38, very controversial verse. And, and anytime you find a controversial verse, I want you to set it aside for a second and look what's happening around it because somebody made an argument about something and while you're arguing about it, you're missing the point. And the whole point of Acts chapter two is God is ready to save. He's ready to save. He's ready to explode on your life. He's ready to use you. He's ready to use you despite you. He's ready to change you from one person to another person. He's ready to, to grow the church and reach a community. He's ready to see generational change. He's ready to touch your kids and your grandkids and your grandma and your nieces and nephews. And then what do people do? They stop on Acts 2.38 and they argue about it the rest of their life. And they miss the whole point. So let me help you with this verse in case somebody wants to argue with you about it. Acts 2.38 has developed a false teaching known as baptismal regeneration. That's the fancy phrase for it. And what is meant by that is very simple. There are people today that believe that only water baptism saves a person. That baptism saves you. That you're not saved until you're water baptized. Or even more, some churches say you're not saved until you're water baptized in our water by our ministers. Now, when we water baptize and we put the baptisms up here, it is filled that the water's not special. It's Aurora Municipal Water. We run a hose all throughout that door, turn it on, and we fill it up and warm it up for you. 
And then when, you know, think about this, when we go back to our baptisms, pray, because we want to do this in the reservoir this year, next year, we go back to the reservoir and you're baptized in your reservoir water, you are baptized, you being baptized in the water that you're going to (laughs) drink. Think about that. It's like, whoa, there's nothing special about the water. If you came to us with, into Israel and you were baptized in the Jordan River and you see how murky and muddy and dirty it is, you see there's nothing special about the water. Water doesn't save you. Ever, never, never. It is solely the blood of Jesus Christ that forgives you and cleanses you from all sin. Water doesn't save you, ever. If an unbeliever gets in the water, exactly one thing happens. They get wet, and that's it. So you say, well, what about this verse, Ed? What about this verse? Because as you read it, it says, repent, and let everyone be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. Now that word for is very important, and that word for can actually mean a couple of things. If you're taking notes, understand. Number one, it can be causative. It can cause salvation. The word for, it can, you're baptized so that you're saved. It causes it. Or it can also be resultant. Now remember, the Bible interprets the Bible. And as you read through the entirety of the Bible, you see the grace of God. You're not saved by works, lest any man should boast. Baptism is a work, something that you do. We learn in Titus that it's a work of righteousness. You're not saved even by work, good righteous works you're not saved. So the word for could also be resultant. And what I mean by that is that you can be baptized so that you're saved, or you can be baptized because you're saved. And that's what we hold to here, that only believers are, are, only believers are water baptized. They are baptized because they are already saved. Let me give you an illustration. In a military town here, thank you for your service. We have people come in and out, and we have a lot of people deployed. So let's just say that we had a sister deployed to Afghanistan, and while she was in Afghanistan, she she uh, expressed these major acts of courage and bravery, and and she was used greatly there, and a tremendous, brave deployment. So she comes back uh, from deployment, and we welcome her back, and because of her bravery, they're going to give her a medal. And so they're going to have a big service, and we're all invited to the service. We're going to either cheer her on, and she's going to get a medal for bravery. That's right. Here's your medal for bravery. So you're at the ceremony with me, and so let's think this through. If she received a medal for bravery, was that for bravery that already occurred, or was the medal going to make her a brave person? No, the medal doesn't make her a brave person. They are simply commemorating and appreciating bravery that already happened. So she was receiving a medal because of her bravery. She would, you could say it this way, in that particular ceremony, if she was not brave on deployment, she would not receive the medal. Are you guys with me so far? So with baptism, it's the same thing. When you are baptized for the remission of sins, The baptism is because you've already been forgiven. Otherwise, it doesn't mean anything. What's the point? Just walking in the water, I think I'll just walk in the water. Go ahead and dunk me. Why? Well, because I think everything happens when I'm underwater. No, it is because you are already saved and it has great meaning to you. Let me show you a couple more things. Turn over to Acts chapter 10. 
So let's just play the devil's advocate for a moment and go, well, let's give you the argument. Baptism, regeneration, okay. So if, tr- if you truly are saved by, by water baptism, then Peter has a big problem when he's preaching the gospel to Cornelius. Same guy, same Bible, same book of the Bible. Acts chapter 10, notice verse 43. Peter tells them, to him, and speaking of Jesus, all the prophets witness that through his name, Whoever believes in him and is water baptized will receive the remission of sins. No, if you didn't turn your Bible, you'd know, you didn't see that that's not there. I added it. It's not there. It's very simple. Whoever believes in him will receive the remission of sins. Belief equals forgiveness, not works of righteousness. Jesus said, whoever believes. Joel said, whoever calls. Peter now says, whoever believes receives the remission of sins. Let me show you one more. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. So, so important. And even, even you guys may be listening right now, somewhere on the radio, you're listening to this, and you hold to baptismal regeneration or you teach it, it's not biblical. It's not biblical. It is not biblical to tell someone you are saved by your works. The whole Bible is about the work of Christ, not your works. I mean, if you were saved by your works, what are you on your worst day? You go from saved, not saved, saved, not saved. No way. The Bible, Peter even tells us in chapter one, we are kept by what? The power of God. Not by our works. I'm glad I'm not kept by my works. So if baptism regeneration was true, then we have a big problem with Paul. Now, when I say Peter, when I say Paul, when I say Joel, when I say Luke, what we're really saying is Holy Spirit. God is the author of the Bible. So he used these men to write down his words. So when we say Paul, it's not like he's in conflict. This is the Holy Spirit using Paul to write the Bible. And he's writing to the church in Corinth. And listen, listen to what he says. Uh, In verse 14, chapter one, verse 14. I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, lest anyone should say that I had baptized in my own name. Yes, I also baptized the house of Stephanus, besides you do not know whether I baptized any other. Okay, so let's pause here. Let's take out the word baptism and say, use it as, as people think it is, salvation. We could read this differently. This is what Paul would be saying. I thank God that none of you were saved except Crispus and Gaius. Lest anyone should say that I was used to see any of you saved. Yes, I saw the household of Stephanus saved, but I don't know whether anyone else was saved. Does that make any sense to you? It's like, I'm so glad I didn't baptize any. I mean, if baptism was so important, why would a brother say, I'm glad none of you, I baptized none of you guys. I don't want you looking to me, but even more so, that's, you're still not convinced. Look at verse 17. This is so key and critical. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made no effect. Verse 17 tells us water baptism is not a part of the gospel. It's distinct. Water baptism comes after the gospel. The good news of salvation does not include a work. Don't miss gospel Good news, the message of freedom and salvation and forgiveness is not water baptism. It's not. They're two distinct things. The gospel 
leads to water baptism for all who call upon the name of the Lord. We want to be careful with the Bible, church, to take it in its simplest form. I know we have messed it up over the years, complicated it. Volumes and volumes and volumes have been written and recorded with all these convoluted, complicated doctrines. But when you get down to it, God calls you to a simple life following him. He didn't make the Bible so hard that you and I couldn't understand it. He's not putting it there so that only pastors can explain it to you. Only certain people. The Holy Spirit is there for you. And you can read the Bible in its simplest form and say, oh, hey man, look at this. God kept his promise. The Holy Spirit came. Peter got up, answered some questions. 3,000 people got saved. It can be that simple. And God wants to use you. The book of Acts to me is so encouraging because regular everyday people right here in Aurora and Denver and Littleton and Golden and Boulder, all throughout town, regular people like you and me can be used in amazing, incredible ways that are unexplainable, that God is still working today. But we want to tune our ears to hear his voice. We want to be men and women of his word and men and women of a prayer Men and women of obedience. Peter had to get up and do something. He was prompted and he did something about it. And God honored that with 3,000 people getting saved. The Spirit of God is still today working through the Word of God, through us as the people of God. And I hope it excites you. That whatever your weight of burden you're under right now, whatever's heavy on your shoulders, that you can just cast your cares upon Him because He cares for you. He wants to see generational change in your life too. He wants to see lives change. He wants, you to, he, he wants you to see the value of other human beings that he created in his image and to participate in all that God is doing. And who knows, you might meet someone just like you. <laughs> you might meet someone that was right where you were and your testimony, your life will be used to bring them out of where they are and into eternal life. It's amazing. It's amazing that God is still at work today. And in the greatest challenge in the room today is not that he's at work and it's not that it's obvious he's at work. You know what the greatest challenge is? Unbelief. Unbelief. There will be still people walking out those doors not believing the word of God. And it will hinder you until you finally surrender and go, oh, what you did 2,000 years ago, you're the same God. You've changed not. You're the same yesterday, today, and forever. This is still what he wants to accomplish. This is still what he wants to do among us. So Father, we thank you for this time in your word. And man, it's so encouraging to know. It's so encouraging to come back to simplicity in our lives with you, Lord. And I pray for our church that we would tune our ears to hear your voice. We would tune our ears to understand something's from you and not from you. We tune our ears to hear the questions people are asking. So we didn't go around asking, answering questions that nobody's asking, but to listen and to hear and to know that we might be used to take the word that will cut to the heart. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.